0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: Inside Story on BFM 89.9.
2: Good evening, this is Sharad Kutin. Tonight we're talking about demands that Sabah and Sarawak get a third of parliamentary seats. I'll be joined by political scientist Wong Chen Huat, who will help us think through the possibilities. Tell us what you think. Uh, do you think that the number of seats in parliament should reflect the equal partnership between the peninsula, Sabah and Sarawak, or should it reflect the one man, one vote principle? You can call us 7733 2900. You can tweet us at BFM Radio. You can send us a voice note or WhatsApp us at our U-Mobile number 018-789-8899. This is Inside Story. It's 6.08, uh, and we're talking about demands that Sabah would get a third of seats in Parliament. I'm very excited by this discussion because, you know, Malaysia today, and I think Malaysia the last couple of years, uh, has been a constant experiment in possibilities and what this country can be if we get things right, if we get our principles right, if we get our solutions right. All that, uh, you know, has is on the table now, and every day we hear new initiatives or calls for new initiatives. And... This discussion today we're having uh, comes in the back of a call, a recent call by Dr. Iwan Benedict from UPCO, the United Progressive Kinabalu Organization, uh, where he's president, that Sabah and Sarawak received one-third of seats in parliament following the Malaysia Agreement 1963. Now, he made this proposal during the budget debate in parliament, but he isn't the first to suggest this. Now, in the studio with me is a political scientist uh, Wong Chin Huat uh, with Sunway University. He's also deputy head of strategy uh, for... Uh, the Asia headquarters of the UN Sustainable Development Solutions Network. It's a mouthful, Chinwat. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, so, there's a lot to get through, yes. but I, I want to start with the headlines because that's what people read, right? Yeah. And I want to get a sense, before we get, talk about consequences, there are always consequences to any interesting proposal, something we don't often think through, I want to ask you about sentiment. What is... What sentiment is driving this call for significantly stronger representation in Parliament for Sabah and Sarawak?
0: Well, if you look from the perspective of an East Malaysian, it's about this idea that the Malaya, Sabah and Sarawak are three equal entities. Therefore, they should have equal representation, or at least they have a veto power. And that comes from a misperception, thinking that, the malaysia agreement 1963 actually provides that that uh, the new states sabah sarawak and earlier singapore should have wanted
2: right so that's a that's a discussion of history and i know you've written a lot about this i mean you're one of the leading commentators of political <laughs> systems in this country but I want to dig deeper into the question of sentiment, right? right? Isn't there a strongly felt sentiment in the the territories of Sabah and Sarawak that they have been marginalised and that their marginalisation has come from particular structures uh, that we have as a federation?
0: Yes, very true. They think that it's a bad deal. Some people would go as far and say uh, the project Malaysia is basically an internal colonisation project of Saban, by Malaya.
2: Right. And, but do you think it's uh, legitimate? I mean, I know we always say, you know, we hear you, we understand your feelings, but, 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 right? So would you say that that is in fact not true? When you look at the flow of, uh, of uh, wealth from the territories, the fact that Sabah is one of the poorest territories, a states uh, of the federation and so on. Do you think that sentiment is not legitimate?
0: The, leg- the sentiment is legitimate, but the problem here is much more complex to think that this is purely an exploitation of Sabah and Sarawak by the evil, wicked Malayans. All those exploitations could not have been done Without the help of some elites from Saban Sarawak itself, so it has to do with the lack of democracy between the two states, as well as over-centralizations of power at the hand of Kuala Lumpur.
1: Right.
2: So, and in fact, in your suggestions of options beyond this one-third uh, parliamentary seats proposal, uh, you get into that kind of uh, into those areas. But before we get to that, I still want to drill down on this because I think what's happened is a transformation in the discussions. Right. The marginalisation was an old discussion. It then transformed into a discussion of Ma sixty three, and then even today, there's a very interesting uh, addendum to that, which is that uh, there's a moderating Quality about the representatives from uh, Sabah and that somehow the peninsula, Malaya, is going off on an ethno-nationalist tangent and that the only people who can, in some sense, save us from mm. going mm. in that direction are M- um, MPs from Sabah and Would you agree to that? Yes,
0: uh, that's the, that's the basis of the sentiment. Many West Malaysians, especially those Liberals and members of ethnic minorities like to see Sabah and Sarawak getting greater power, including a prime minister and so on. Uh, I think to have a prime minister from East Malaysia is perfectly fine, just from any part of Malaysia. However, to talk about over-representations of Sabah and Sarawak to the extent that probably would give them uh, so much power that they can form or dominate a majority government that does not enjoy a majority in terms of words would be dangerous because that could lead to political instability, political unrest and so on.
2: Yeah, but but Chima, do you think that uh, representatives from Sabah and Sarawak generally reflect a more inclusive vision of the country? Uh,
0: Yes, uh, because they are actually more in line with the rest of Maritime Southeast Asia, Nusantara, if you like because they are society with multiple poles. So you do not have single groups that dominate them, and people tend to be much more accommodative to each other. Malaya, or if you want to be more accurate, West Coast Malaya is an anomaly in this case, because we have a bipolar society. You have Malay-Muslim as one big pole, and then the non-Malay-non-Muslim as another one.
2: Yeah, so if you look at some of the headlines that we had you know, the last couple of weeks uh, there's pushback coming from, especially Srawa on say the uh, Palestine Awareness Week Uh, there was also pushback on uh, government correspondence, right? And this uh, rather startling um, assertion from Srawa that they accept uh, a multilingual communications framework for their people right? And Mm -hmm. so when you read uh, those headlines, Chinwat what were you thinking? I mean, is this uh, an expression of state, national Or is it just good sense, common sense when you think about our country?
0: Both. I think in Sarawak, there is a sense of pride on using English more than in Sabah. You go to Sabah, people feel very comfortable to use Malay, but Sarawakians like to emphasise their use of English. So that they see this as part of their state identity.
2: That's a very interesting point. Uh, I'm speaking to Wong Chen Huat, political scientist and author of numerous commentaries on our political system. Stay, uh, Keep it here, BFM 89.9. point nine.
1: Bolé for Malaysia. Ha. BFM 89.9, the business station.
2: It's uh, coming up to 6.17. Uh, this is Inside Story. I'm Sherrod. We're talking about greater representation for Sabah and Sarawak in Parliament. It's just a proposal at this stage, uh, and we're thinking through its consequences. So we want to know, what do you think? Do you think the number of seats in parliament should reflect equal partnership between the peninsula, Malaya, as it were, Sabah and Sarawak, or should it reflect the one-man vote principle, which is kind of core to uh, democracy or parliamentary democracies? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, tweet us at BFM Radio, or send us a voice note or WhatsApp at 018-789-8899. Now, in the studio with me is uh, Wang Chinua, the political scientist, uh, who's written extensively on our political system. And... Um, But I want to just finish up on the question of sentiment, because political sentiment, I think, in many ways, drives uh, the decisions that uh, are being made um, in Parliament, but also, I think sitting in our cars, sitting in our homes, what we think is the right course of action for this country. So I think a very popular idea also around is that MPs uh, from Sabah and Sarawak are more likely to push back on Malay ethno-nationalism and is seen as a problem. We've heard it in Parliament in the last couple of weeks uh, because they themselves often are non-Malay Bumiputra. Being Bumiputra, they have a particular, I don't know what, Mm. to make the argument about the nature of this country. What do you think? Is that true?
0: It's very true, but also I want to qualify that by saying a lot of East Malaysians, parliamentarians, lawmakers, have this uh, disillusion, if you like, of Sabah and Sarawak exceptionalism and isolationism. What they want is like, uh, you guys in Malaya Malaya are mad. We do not want to be part of your madness, and uh, we are not happy. You just leave us alone, give us more money, let us run our show. We don't care what you do the other side. As if like the South China Sea can be a natural defence for them.
2: Uh, defense against a particular kind of politics and political dynamics. They they see as toxic uh, that they define in terms of uh, ethno nationalism and religious yes. uh, politicization of religion. Right? Yeah. Okay. So. Um, before Again, before we get into the, 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 the weeds about uh, political systems, right. I want to ask you about the question of genuine autonomy, right? It was an expression used during the time of the chief minister, Adnan Satem, right? Uh, and it's also part of now a part of a, a political process. Is genuine autonomy, in fact, what is um, helping push this uh, demand for... rethink about the nature of the federal parliament? Because general autonomy was never going to be limited. The more autonomy somebody gets, the more they're going to, in fact, make demands. What do you think about genuine autonomy as a kind of discourse?
0: I want to uh, put this in context. First of all, when we talk about decentralisation autonomy should have been uh, nationwide issues. Sabah and Sarawak may have more power, but other states should have also more power. Although less than Sabah and Sarawak, So you should have a decentralization flow over to every every corner of the country. But this often is not the case in the articulation made by East Malaysian. They like to turn decentralization autonomy into a Sabah, a Borneo-specific issue. That's one thing. Second thing, when we talk about uh, autonomy and so on, often you see that The focus is on how much money, how much power we can transfer from Kuala Lumpur to Kuching and Kota Kinabalu, but they are not talking about from Kuching to Kapit or from Kota Kinabalu to Keningau. So uh, if you look at the geography and the complexity or diversity of the population in East Malaysia, you have to recognise that Kuching and Kota Kinabalu do not, does not represent the whole states. So we need actually decentralization at that level.
2: But is that also true of the states of the peninsula? That, in fact, that discourse of decentralization, of an even distribution of development, is not particularly rich or articulated in the states of the peninsula.
0: Yes, very true, except for certain states like Johor, uh, Slango, Pinang, Kelantan, Tanganu, at Thai. Other states normally don't talk about that, but coming back to Sabah and Sarawak, why is it so important? Is if you look back at this resistance to decentralisation to East Malaysia, starting all the way back in after sixty three, is this fear that they will break away, and it's important in two at two levels. Why we need internal decentralisation from the state capital to their divisions. One, so that you would make sure the resources actually flow down to the inlands, to the uh, areas inhibited by the smaller communities. Right. Second, <laughs> to prevent the state having that potential to break away.
2: Right. In fact, there's. In fact, we do have a message here um, uh, from uh, Nick says, How can we strengthen democracy as well as have checks and balances in Strawa? He says, absolute power corrupts. I mean, so the question is, and I know this pushback from Sarawakians who are very irritated by Peninsula people coming over and say, well, you know, we'll give you more autonomy. But mm. first, you you know, you sort out your uh, your problems mm. around corruption. Mm. And, when, and they will point to the fact that, you mm. know, over this side of the yeah. South China Sea, we're equally corrupt. So why should that be a condition for them getting more autonomy?
0: Well, I suppose that uh, no one can stop you from, say, embracing corruptions. But rather here, I want to put that question on the other way. Sabah and Sarawak like to assert that they are not part of Malaya. In fact, parts of our law give them that power. Sometimes they are not necessarily good things like labour laws. But there are other parts that are actually good. For example, our Local Government Act does not cover Sabah and Sarawak. What does that mean? Sabah and Sarawak can have their local government elections. Why are they not having it? And why this is important for them to have it? If they have local elections, they have accountable government, they can make sure whatever decentralisation, uh, benefit from decentralisation, can flow down all the way to the local. And also, they can use that to show that their divisions, if they want to have elections at that level, is actually on par with mass Malaysian states. Why are they not doing this? And why it's important to talk about democratisation within Sabah and Sarawak as we talk about decentralisation? Because it's also to avoid state capture. Like it or not, in West Malaysia, political parties are stronger in the sense that they're stronger than families, than personalities. Of course, with exceptions. Ben in Sabah and Sarawak, we know that uh, many parties are controlled by families. We have had families that monopo- mon- dominated and exploited estates for three decades.
2: Yeah, so that's interesting. Um, what do you think of what Chinwad is saying? You can call 7733 uh, 2900, tweet us at BFM Radio, or send a voice note or WhatsApp at 018 789 Remember, the question that we have this evening is the question of. A proposal, um, you know, not set in stone, just a proposal, but often reiterated, uh, reiterated, which is that, Sabah should get a third of parliamentary seats and that will bring bre- benefits to the Federation, not just to the territories themselves. So do you think uh, the number of seats in Parliament should reflect that equal partnership we have between the three components of the Federation or should it reflect the one-man-one-vote w- principle? Remember, Chinwat's on call. He's on the line uh, to answer any of your queries about political systems and pickle theory. Uh, he's an expert. So let's let's start to, to drill down uh, just very quickly quickly on the question of malapportionment, because that's something that you have used to launch your argument against this proposal. Very quickly, what is the one-man, one-vote principle that sort of anchors parliamentary democracy? What should we all remember?
0: One person, one vote, one value. The approved principle means that we have to... uh, democracy is based on political equality. Everyone carries the same votes. Now, applying that principle, government should be formed by the largest group of people. So you cannot give a higher weight on a particular group of citizens more than others. This is why if you have only one chamber in the parliament or if you have two, the lower chamber that form, that elects the government, must be based on this principle. However, people would ask, what about states? Because they may have their own uh, interests that you cannot just quantify them by the number because they have their own issues, they are entities by themselves. How do we ensure they get adequate representation? The solution is in the upper house. For, For example, America, every state would have two seats in the House of Senate."
2: Right. Okay. So this is part of your kind of your proposal for either strengthening the center, changing it, and so on and so forth. But I I do just want to uh, help... um all of us understand better what the one-man-one-vote principle right. has been mm. because it does get tweaked in all kinds of real situations mm. to kind of uh, work with the realities on the ground, including, say, vast rural areas and you know the administration of those constituents. So there are deviations mm. and acceptable deviations from the norm of the one-man-one-vote principle, and not there, Chinwad? And what is considered tolerable in terms of a deviation?
0: Actually, that argument using landmass area is not justifiable. If you think about Australia, West Australia makes up about one third of the, of the landmass of the entire continent, and the largest constituency takes up more than half. It's called Durec, divisions of Durec. It's one of the largest in the world, because most part of it is desert. How do you actually... Uh, draw a constituency and say, because that you have forest, desert, swamp, then we have to give you more space. It doesn't make sense because people only vote uh, based on their votes, right? So to see this fallacy of this argument and say the science matter, let me ask you this before we end. Bangi has 300,000 voters. Within the same state of Slango, Sabah Benam has only around 50,000. Do you think that is acceptable?
2: Okay, and it's an excellent point to take a little pause in this conversation. Remember, we're talking about demands that Sabah and Sarawak get one-third of parliamentary seats. We're asking you, do you think the number of seats in parliament should reflect this equal partnership that we always aspire to between Malaya or the peninsula, Sabah and Sarawak, or should it reflect the one man, one vote principle? You can call us 77733 uh, 2900, tweet us at BFM Radio, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018 789 8899.
1: Brainy fancy material. BFM 89.9.
2: It's coming up to 6.38. Uh, this is Inside Story. I'm Sharad Kutin. And we're talking today about greater representation for Sabah and Straub in Parliament. In fact, so g- great that it will change the dynamics of the Federal Assembly. Uh, you can think about it in terms of one third of the Assembly or 35% of the Assembly. But it's just a proposal at this stage. It was something that's come out in discussions over and over again. So today we're going to be talking through the consequences. And we want you to tell us what you think. Do you think the number of seats in Parliament should reflect uh, the equal partnership that we have between Malaya, Sabah and Sarawak, Or should it reflect the one-man-one-vote principle? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, tweet us at BFM Radio, or send us a voice note or WhatsApp at 018-789-8899. We have, in fact, a voice um, note from Charles.
3: To, make, to have uh, Singapore, Sabah and Sarawak, one-third of the constituency is possible because Singapore constituencies are highly dense, uh, densely populated, so they can have more constituencies in Singapore to bring up with Sabah and Sarawak. Sabah and Sarawak, the constituencies are very sparsely populated, so their electorates are, are less. In fact, if you want to delineate the... Uh, uh, electoral uh, constituency in, in West Malaysia in uh, Peninsula, the, in big cities like KL, you no know, uh, those countries like Bukit uh, Bintang, they they should have divided into more constituencies because of the density population, you know, compared to those in the East Malaysia, East Coast, Pahang, uh, Johor or Terengganu or Kelantan, where the, the electorates are very much less, and uh, so. If you want to increase the constituency according to population, then uh, you know those cities like Penang and Kuala Lumpur and big cities, they will need to increase the constituencies to uh, to equalize the number of population and electorates. Uh, so forever, the Sabah and Sarawak, you know, with those uh, sparse uh, population, will not be able to get the numbers of constituency become wanted. So I don't think it is possible.
2: Uh, Thank you, Charles, for that. Um, Yeah, so we need to kind of work through a number of points that you make. uh, But to help us uh, in the studio with me is Wang Chinwat, a political scientist uh, who's written extensively on our political system and has been here to help us kind of understand uh, the electoral system, the principles on which it's based, and how it can, in fact, evolve in a way that will be beneficial to everybody. So Chinwat, so I think with Charles, uh, what he seems to be suggesting as we take the last part of his message. that uh, because of the lack of population densities Mm. in Sabansawa, they can't, in fact, achieve parity with populations in the peninsula, right? And therefore, they can never get to this one-third. So it's going to have to be something else that kicks in, like a political will, or some desire to equalize, um, through some other principle, the relationship between the peninsula and those two territories.
0: Charles is largely against male abortion over-representation for Sabah and Sarawak. Uh, but two things very interesting coming from his sharing. First, he mentioned about Singapore. Singapore at the time of formation of Malaysia has got only 15 seats, while Sarawak 24, Sabah 16. Whereas when Singapore population is actually larger than the two other states, So Singapore was seriously undermined, underrepresented. It's a raw deal. So you may want to ask, Singaporeans are so politically uh, savvy. Why would they want to accept? Lee Kuan Yew was at
2: least, yes. Yes.
0: Why would they accept this deal? The interesting thing here, I think Sabahan and Sri may want to take a leave from Lee Kuan Yew because Malaya then fear Singapore would be too powerful. So they deliberately want to under, wanted to underrepresent under Singapore. In exchange for that law deal, Singapore asked for autonomy in education, in uh, health, and labor law.
2: So, it's interesting. So, in the political negotiations of a representation, for Singapore, it was more important to have control over their territory than it was to have a say in the larger Malaysia. Is that, yes. that, that, um, that, did I understand that correctly?
0: Yes, exactly. So, come back to this. I want to, I mean, some of our Sabahan friends and Sarawakian friends may think that say, well, Wong Chin is another wicked Malayan. A right. oh, wicked Malayan. Yeah, okay. well, why should we trust him? <laughs> but let me put this way. I believe in a Malaysia that, uh, that is inclusive. It has to be good for Sabah and Sarawak. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to keep Malaysia uh, for, you know, Together. that gets to come. Yeah, right. right. Now, how do we get the best for Sabah and Sarawak? People have been always talking about getting more seats. Let me put it this way. If you have more seats for Sabah and Sarawak, you know what you're going to get? your politicians mm. would have a better chance to be minister. That's true. You have more seats, you're going to have more claim for constituency allocation. Now, with all this guarantee that you as ordinary people get a better share, not necessary. But what would be useful if it's talking about decentralisation, getting more power devolved to... Kuching's and Kota Kinabalu. Therefore, Kota Kota Kinabalu and Kuching can afford to devolve power to elected local government.
2: Okay, but what? aren't they already doing that? Aren't they already in the process of Making a separation, saying that there are things that they want to be in control of, that, you know, that uh, there are policies they don't agree with. We talked earlier about how they push back on this federal demand that all correspondence, government correspondence, is done in Basa Malaysia. And they said, no, we accept a, a very different principle of multilingualism.
0: Yes, but that in the Sarawak case, because Sarawak official language is both Malay and English. But when you come to education, Sarawak has been talking about so much. We want to have control. All the federal concessions here has no constitutional basis, meaning that if you have a you have a change of federal government, things can be rolled back. What we really should talk about is formal decentralisation. Now, how this is actually something very normal if you look at the rest of the world. For example, Malaysian students know about uh, South Australian matriculation as one of pre-U program. What does it mean? That's STP for Sarango, for example, or Johor. Right? Why? Because in Australia it's the state government that controls their education. It is possible for us to talk about all this. And that's probably more useful for Saban Sarawak to be king in your own country. Rather make your politicians kingmakers in the federal capital. Because they may make more money for themselves, but not necessarily those money will flow to you. That's one thing. Secondly, if we're going to talk about bringing all this uh, decentralisation, you Sabah and Sarawakians, you, you need to act very strategically. You cannot just say, I want my share and I don't care what all these Malayans think. You have to remember, Malayan politicians still make up the majority in the parliament. So to, to get decentralisation... Sabah and Sarawakians need to learn Malayan politician with some benefits. What's that? Decentralisation for their own state, but may not be as much as what you would get in Sabah and Sarawak, because they are special.
2: Okay, we're going to have to put a pin in that. It's a very interesting proposition. I'm speaking to Wang Chinwad. He's here to help us understand uh, the dilemmas and the trade-offs that come with the kind of changes we want to see in our political system. We're talking about uh, greater representation for Sabah and Sarawah in Parliament. Uh, we're asking you... Do you think the number of seats in Parliament should reflect the equal partnership between Malaya, Sabah and Sarawak, or should it reflect the one-man, one-vote principle? You can call us, 7773-2900. You can send us a voice note or WhatsApp at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM
1: Radio. Bring forth Moolah, BFM 89.9.
2: It's 6.48. Uh, This is inside story. I'm Sharad Kutin. And we continue our discussion about greater representation for Sabah and Sarawak in Parliament. That's the Federal Assembly. Uh, It's just a proposal at this point, but we want to know what you think of such a suggestion. Do you think the number of seats in Parliament should reflect the equal partnership between Peninsula, Sabah and Sarawak, or should it reflect the one-man, one-vote principle, which it might undermine? So you can call us at 77733- nine hundred. Uh, tweet us at BFM Radio or send us a voice note or WhatsApp us at 018 789 8899. you know, there are in fact some really interesting messages here. We have one from Yahya. It says Should we increase the total seats um, instead of the current? Two hundred twenty-two. Uh, Mario had some uh, suggestions. Said, How about revamping the whole constituency demographics instead of t- two hundred twenty-two seats in parliament? Re look at the entire structure. So Mario nyaya Chinwa, what do you think?
0: Yes, we should actually rethink about our entire electoral system because, in terms of apportionments of seats of equal representation, 1% one person, one vote, one value. We have two problems. One is within the same state, you have male apportionments as 300 over thousands for Bangi and 50,000 for Sabah Penang. But also we have a huge problem of inequality between the states. And no, let's just leave Sabah and Sarawak aside. We have uh, the, the, the numbers of seats in Slango is much less than what it deserves. And neighboring Pahang has more seats than what it deserves. In a normal country, what would happen is after a round of census, you would take some seats from Pahang, move it to Slango. We never have that. So, what happened is over time, we just add seats. But when we add seats, it was not based on any formula. The parliament arbitrarily decides seats based on suggestions from the EC. And therefore, our problem never gets solved. Should we actually increase this? Yes, we should at some point settle to a total and never increase it again.
2: Okay, I want to ask you this because it seems that one thing, we're not a unitary state, right? So the federal nature of not just Malaya, but the federal nature of Malaysia. So it's kind of we have a federation, that federation is part of another federation. Does federalism impose a different logic, one that goes beyond equality of votes, right? The equality of citizenship. That the constituent parts of the federal, uh, federal uh, mm. entity mm. also have kind of like person's rights, you know, if you put yeah, it kind of crudely, okay. right? right? So how, how do we square that? Okay, that comes to two principles.
0: One, even for the lower house, the smallest state must have one seat. So, for example, we cannot complain about Putrajaya having so few voters because Putrajaya is a state-level unit. Beyond that, what you should have, if we were to go on that line, is to have over-representation of small states or special states in the upper house. And in the lower house, we should maintain the number. I'll give you America again as an example. In 1911, America has less than... Uh, it's about 91 million people and 435 members of House of Representatives. Today, the population has more than triple, but the numbers of representatives remains 435. What happened over time, states with higher population growth would get seats. That process is called reapportionment. So we can increase seats, but we must bring in this process of reapportionment. Otherwise, our parliament would keep on growing. In 1965, when Singapore left us, we had
2: uh, one looking for the one four four one four four, 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 four seats, seats in
0: parliament. Okay, in parliament, and by 20, 2003, we have got two two two. 2005,
2: we have got 222. Two, right. two. But is that the, uh, the inevitable consequence of just population growth? That you know, or is, it, or should we think very differently about what happens in parliament and stop thinking about it as somehow having to be anchored in the size? Because you know, if we have population growth of some sort, then we could have a 500-seat um, parliament, and that clearly is not true of well, countries as big as China or India, right? The parliaments are not huge.
0: Uh, China, yes. China has more than 2,000 in the parliament. But the whole reason is because the parliament is not meant to be a uh, check and balance of government. So you have huge parliament, it would be dysfunctional. There's no absolute number and say how big it should be. Some countries go for 800, 600. Some countries settle with 500 or 200, right? The question here is that we must fix the number. And every time we think about increasing seats, we must ask, are we going to increase the time that parliament would meet, the number of committees. If not, we are basically paying more lawmakers to do less jobs.
2: Hmm. which is something a lot of Malaysians would uh, balk at. Uh, we already have this conversation about absenteeism, uh, and I, I don't see us, anybody uh, giving the thumbs up to that. Okay, very quickly, before we go to the news, um, there is this rather contentious thing, and it's probably the extreme end of the demand for autonomy. And that is, mm. Shah says, Chinwat, there are Sabahans and Sarawakans demanding secession. Mm. They want a referendum. What's mm. your take on that?
0: Well, we have been married for 50 years. I do not believe in denying the right of divorce, but in a country where we do not have any mechanism of referendum, it would be very dangerous to go on that path. What we should do is work hard to make the marriage work. In fact, After some point, if it still does not, and you have to come to the point of maintaining territorial integrity with violence, then we should talk about that.
2: Okay, so Rizal in fact adds to that. He says, "Let's be frank and true to ourselves. Can Peninsula, uh, Sarawak and Sabah, stand as a country on their own without depending on each other? Do you uh, do they in fact even have the uh, economic means to be independent?"
0: Yes, possibly, but they would likely to more likely to become vassal states of China or Indonesia.
2: Ah, well, that is something I think clearly uh, nobody wants. But and you're. Sort of putting uh, Malaysia in a geopolitical context, right? Uh, not just uh, Sabah, uh, Filipino claims on Sabah, but also the larger bo- yeah. geopolitical context. Yeah, very interesting. Okay, we're speaking to uh, Wang Wat, political scientist. Has written quite extensively on our political system. We're talking about greater representation for Sabah and Sarawak in parliament and a proposal that uh, the two territories get... Thirty-five percent, or one-third of parliamentary seats. Tell us what you think. Uh, you, you know, do you think the number of seats in parliament should reflect the equal partnership between uh, the peninsula, Sabah, and Sarawak, or should it re- should it reflect the one man, one vote principle, which you know very, uh, um, you know, clearly articulated just now? You can call us 7773-2900. You can send us a voice note or WhatsApp us at zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, or tweet us at BFM Radio.
1: Bigotry-free Malaysia, BFM 89.9.
2: It's uh, 7.08, and uh, we continue the conversation on Inside Story about, I think, demands... Emanating from the ground, also by political leadership in uh, Sabah and Sarawak, about representation, how they feel about the federation and the, their visibility, their ability to transform things or to protect the things that they think are important. To help us with that, we have Wang Chinwat, he's a political scientist with Sunway uh, University. Okay, we've covered a lot of ground, Chinwat, uh, but we have one thing we haven't covered is the first past the post system, right? And we have a voice note here from Anas about that.
1: I truly agree with what the person before this has mentioned in which that we have to look at the population of a constituency as well. For example, I think one of the I think a lot of the parliamentary seats in for example in Sabah and Sarawak has lesser number of voters than one adun seat in for example in Selangor for instance. So I think when we look at this where are we going to put more seats in it. So so I think what is important is that if we were to change or if we were to add uh, the seats in Saba and Sarawak, we need to look at the seats in Slango or the densely populated area as well. Um, and I think what we need to at least try to look into is in terms of trying to change the first-pass-the-post system, which is, I'm sure, very hard, and Prof Wong Chin Huat probably will have a lot of things to say about this. But then, yeah. So we need to look at the data first and not just to blindly say that, OK, we just need an increase of the number of parliamentary seats because you can still have um, power in terms of negotiating your, 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 not your sovereignty, but your freedom uh, in terms of handling your own uh, affairs as well.
2: Anas, thank you very much for that very thoughtful note. There are two, I guess, two uh, points in that, but I'll leave it to you, Chinwat. Um, what do you want to take first?
0: Well, first of all, I completely agree that uh, the, the under-representations of uh, peninsula voters... I'll give you a figure now. If Currently, you have 17% of voters from Sabah and Sarawak, but they have 25% of seats in Sabah, Sarawak and Labuan. And if you're going to count the weight, a peninsula voter is only 63% of a Sarawakian is Malaysian waters. Now, if you're going to raise it to 35%, That's the parliamentary seats. Parliamentary seats. Then, a peninsular voters would would wait only 39%. So, can you accept that? That's really the question. But I want to take it further from here before we come to First Past the Post. Even in Sabah and Sarawak, we have to know... That once we break this idea of uh, equal apportionment, Sarawakian and Sabahan, they themselves are victims. For example, the smallest constituency in Sarawak is Igan. That's smaller than the Gris Milan. But you have a seats like Baram, which is the science of Para, uh, Ulu Lajang, the size of Pahang. Both these seats are more inland and they have. More voters than Igan. So, even about inland seats, there was no, not a standard. So, this is why male abortion is really detrimental to our democracy. And in general, it penalizes people who are in urban areas uh, or those less prefer inland people. Another way, in terms of generation, it penalizes young people because they tend to be urban due to education and employment opportunities. So that's one problem. But I want
2: to, yes. Okay, uh, before we get to the first pass to because yes. it, these are complex arguments, the idea of value, right? I mean, you 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 crunched the numbers and you showed us the value. But when people look at federal parliament and they yeah. see we only have X number of seats, yeah. uh, our ability to uh, form governments mm. uh, is also lessened because we have, X, at this point in time, they're kingmakers, yeah. right? Yeah. But at the same time, People don't see that value number that you're talking about. What they see is the seats in Parliament. They see the 22, uh, Mm. sorry, 222 Mm. seats, and they Mm. say, that's the game. And that's the game we need to play at the level of seat allocations on the Parliamentary. So how would you respond to that?
0: Well, now let's say we go along and say we agree with Yvonne Benedict, who said he won 35%. And he was not the first one. But we agree with them. So let's start. How do we add seats? Without changing any seats in West Malaysia, we need to add 32 seats to Saban Sarawak. That makes our parliament 254 seats. Now, after that, because many seats in peninsula are already oversized. So people definitely want to have more seats, right? For every one, two seats added to the peninsula, you need to give one seat to Borneo. So, you would expect that parliament to, have, to continue growing. What's the number if, let's say, both Peninsula and Sabah and Sarawak get the same number of seats? Our parliament would be 360. Now, that is actually more than 50% increase of the current size. Are we going to see our parliament to be in sessions for more than 50% of the day? then now are we going to see more committees no people are not talking about this why is it so because our politicians are so keen to increase seats let me put it very bluntly because they want to create jobs for their party leaders and with every seats voters can look for constituency allocation which would go down the local economy but more likely go to sometimes, go to the cronies, right? This is the reason why they are looking at it. They don't care about whether the parliament would be functional. And if it's not, what it means is that our parliament would be controlled much more easier by the executive than now.
2: Okay, we're going to have to put a pin in that. Very interesting, provocative statement there by Wong Chin, what my guests uh, tonight on Inside Story. We're talking about... The proposal, is, and it's really just a proposal, to increase the number of parliamentary seats um, in uh, in order to reflect a particular kind of relationship between the peninsula at Sabah and Sarawak. The, the magic number is, I think, 35% or one-third, if you like. Um, the question to you, of course, is, and to uh, our guest today, is... What do you think uh, should be the solution? Um, and what do you make of the one-man, one-vote principle? You can call us, double seven double three two nine hundred. You can send us a voice note or WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio.
1: Be free-minded. BFM 89.9.
2: BFM 89.9. Uh, that was Doris Troy with I Got My Baby Back. Uh, this is... The in, you know, this is Inside Story. I'm Sherrod sure it. We're still continuing our conversation about uh, a solution to a demand for better representation at the federal parliament. Sabah uh, and should it get one third of seats there? Uh, or 35%, however you want to uh, skin that cat. But the question is... Uh, what is the consequences of doing that? And to help me with that conversation is Wang Chin He's a political scientist, oh, well-known to many, uh, from Sunway University. Now, before we get to the first past-the-post system, which is sort of bedevils our system, um, Chin there is a message from Jingyi, it says... Uh, uh, whether it's malapportionment or first past the post system is correct. Uh, the question of competency of candidates is also important. It's pointless to increase the number of seats if the elected representatives are incompetent. What's your take, Mr. Wong?
0: <laughs> Agree. Oh, Dr. Wong. <laughs> Agree. What we need to do is to have parliamentary reform, make it more demanding, and also for parliamentarians to learn on the job if they have not, if they have not come to parliaments
2: with substance. Okay, we'll come back to Anas' voice note that had earlier that mentioned the question of the the first-past-the-post system. Is that part of the problem?
0: Yes, it's part of the problems. I mean, we all know that it doesn't provide equal representations for the losing parties, and a problem that is made worse by gerrymandering. But I want to point to another problem. With first-past-the-post, Borneo parties cannot become national. For example, Gerakan Khan took part in the 1995 general elections, Warisan in the last elections. They would not be able to win any seats, even though we have sizable East Malaysian diaspora here. Why? Because their seats are scattered around. If you have party-list system on top of a spaster post, so for example, entire state, is one constituency with maybe 10 seats or 15 seats, it's possible for parties from East Malaysia to win representation. That would actually serve the purpose of East Malaysians, East Malaysians here.
2: Right, okay. Um, in fact, you've got all the supporters, Chinwat. Uh, Mahdi is saying, as a nation, Sabah Sarawak equal partners with Malaya, but for Malaysia and its people, it should be the one-citizen, one-vote system. He says, please, 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 no increase in parliamentary seats. Even with 222 seats, the high cost of maintaining them, uh, we have substandard MPs and high absenteeism. Also, Nini Wadeen saying, one-man, one-vote will save the country a lot of money. Do you agree with Nini? Yes,
0: But I will not rule out about increasing seats, not just a a knee-jerk reaction to pressures from some politicians. It should be part of a proper design because our system needs to be changed. And I'll point to two directions. One is decentralisation for Sabah Sarawak and also, to a lesser extent, for all other states here. Second is to change our parliament Having both houses elected, upper house completely elected on party list, lower house adding seats, uh, party list seats to first passable seats. So for that reason, we probably need to increase seats, but it should be once and for all. Okay.
2: addition. Right, and no, in fact, your your suggestions for alternatives to this very simple and, very, in some ways, very direct and in almost intuitive idea that if you increase the number of parliamentary representatives, it will be good for Sabah and Sarawak, there are consequences. The question is, and I think uh, Christopher and Kunbun Boon both kind of send messages about this. At the, at the end of the day. Will that touchstone for many Sabahan and Sarakan politicians, MH63, solve the matter? So I'm going to read. Kunbun says, it should be based on what has been agreed in MH63. Otherwise, there is no right or wrong answer. Christopher says, just honour the Malaysia Agreement 1963 in the spirit of the formation of Malaysia. How would you respond to both of them?
0: I completely agree. And unfortunately, MH63 doesn't contain anything that suggests Sabah and Sarawak have a fixed number of seats because it was temporary arrangement for Sabah and Sarawak to be overrepresented with 24 and 16 seats, but Singapore having 15... Sabah and Sarawak, 24 and 16, Singapore 15, and uh, Malaya, 104. Nothing in the MA63, but in the Intergovernmental Committee IGC report in 1962 did mention that Sabah and Sarawak percentage or the weightage of Sabah and Sarawak seats should continue for seven years after formations of Malaysia, which means it has been over since after 1970.
2: Yeah, so you know, you know know what, um, I think in many ways the MH63 is so important because it's anchored a particular kind of discourse, but it's a backward-looking, in some ways, framework, right? Can we have a more forward-looking framework to understand what the Malaya, Malaysian Federation of the future must look like? How can it respond? I,
0: I, I want to frame, I agree with you, but I want to frame it positively. What we should have is MA63+. plus, Because if you just stick to MA63, basically, we can't have more decentralisation. You can't let Sarawak and Sabah control their education. You can't let other states control their healthcare and whatsoever, because that's not in our constitution, right? Constitution is not cast in stone. We should eventually come to renegotiating that. What I want to say is that Sabah and Srault must adopt the right strategy. All this while, they like to talk about... uh, They they treat the federal government as representing the Malayan states. Basically, they pit Malayan states against them and they expect... With whatever increased power they have now, since 2008 or 2018, to extract more concession, I would say the chance won't be huge. What they should do is to actually call Malayan states, together with them, join force, pressing on on the federal government. Decentralisation for all, but Sabah and Sarawak, more.
2: Okay, so that's interesting because we have this message from Dennis. He says, agree, Sabah and Sarawak get one-third. I also agree that to they get one-third as ministers, especially in education. So there seems to be maybe a desire to address the education thing, the idea that Sabah and Sarawak have been failed by federal governments, by their own obsessions or you know ideological constraints. Now, I
0: think the solution to his concern is to have education becoming at least a concurrent power, meaning federal and state share power on education, and then Sabah and Sarawak have their education minister with substantial power. That's really a solution. about do- creating jobs. Can-,
2: can it be done within the existing system?
0: It doesn't work. Because what it means is that there's no constitutional basis. Whatever concession the last few government and this government give to Sabah and Sarawak have no real constitutional uh, basis. What you need to change is from that. But can I seize the last four minutes talking about the parliamentary... Yes, you
2: may. Mario says, well done, political scientist. I
0: agree a 35% representation for Sabah Sarawak and Labuan, not in Dewan Rakyat, but in Dewan Let's have 100 seats and then give 35 seats to this East Malaysia region.
2: Okay, I want to ask you this, because you're very, uh, I think, certain about uh, the the kinds of proposals that you're putting on the table and how they will work actually to benefit everybody and all the constituent parts of the Federation. But I want to ask you this. It's a political question. What is the easiest to achieve? I'm asking this because one imagines political leadership is always going to go for the easiest solution. Yes,
0: right. Sanitary reform, because the reason here are the 70s, the states have only 26 representatives. If we're going to have elected representatives, elected senators, all of them will be elected by state basis. Everyone get more. So politicians will be very happy because they see more jobs. But it would benefit the people with elected senators. Dewan would have real power to force deliberations on the lower house. So the problem we worry of bad law, bad... Policies would have extra safeguard.
2: Chairman, in terms of timelines, uh, we know that the volatility, political volatility, has opened up spaces for all kinds of negotiations that were foreclosed in the past. Right. When do you see a timeline for these kinds of um, structural reforms to happen?
0: Well, it depends on how long the government would last. If this government lasts for five years, all the way until. December 2027, we have enough time to at least set in motion some of this reform and then for its completion after the next election.
2: Okay, final thoughts for our listeners as they think about whether the proposal is a good one and what its consequences are?
0: Uh, we should believe in more competition, healthy, rep- healthy incentives, sorry, effective incentives for healthy competitions among politicians. We should empower Sabah and Sarawak. If, if Malaysia is not good enough for Sabah and Sarawak, Malaysia won't last the way we see it today. It's in our common interest to make it work.
2: Thank you so much, Jinwat. Thank you. I've been speaking to Wong Chin a uh, political scientist from uh, Sunway University. We've been talking about the question of the proposal to give Saban Sarawa one-third of parliamentary seats. Uh, that's all we have for you. Thank you, everybody, for all your insightful uh, comments and messages. That's all we have for you on Insight Story, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the
0: same
1: kind, download the BFM app.